reading this morning is from Second Chronicles. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So I came across uh, this app called Lumosity. Anyone do Lumosity? So uh, basically they're memory games that you can do on your phone. And they're meant these, these little challenges that you do. I'll give you a couple of examples here. So one of them is like switch the train track so you can get the train into the right barn, right? And they're all coming at the same time. Or there's the other one where you have to fill the cups of coffee and you have to make sure you have the right ingredients in each of the cups before they overflow and spill and you have to serve them to the customers. Or maybe it's feeding goldfish in a koi pond and you have to make sure that you feed each one of them but they're all swimming around and you have to really focus. And, and there's all kinds of games like this that are intended to focus your, your memory, your concentration. And so I do this, and, uh, and part of the joy of doing this is that whenever you complete it, it gives you a score, and it tells you like, how much you've done, how well you've done according to you know, your records in the past and that. And you can say, like, look it, I'm going up the leaderboard. This is exciting. Like, I'm better than I was in the past. And so, yes, I want to begin by just admitting that even as a 43-year-old, there's still just something about making it to the next level. It just makes me feel happy. Like, look it, I've accomplished something on this little game. And so this month we're talking about level two prayers. We're talking about praying to the next level. And like these memory games, this month's series isn't about comparing ourselves to others, but it's about reminding ourselves that there's always room to grow. To grow. In these games, you're not competing against other people, but against yourself. Are, how are you growing in these areas? And that's what we want to talk about this month. Because sometimes our praying can lose its edge or even disappear altogether. And as we sang earlier, we could just stay where we are. We could just sit. We could just stay, but God has called us higher. God has called us to continue to grow and to learn. And so every day I get a little reminder. On my phone, a little thing pops up and it says, ready to train? And I was like, oh, thanks for the reminder. Maybe I will. Uh, A reminder like that when it comes to prayer could be valuable, especially if you take the words of Martin Luther to heart, who said, if I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. So forget like Snapchat streaks or anything like this. Like Martin Luther saying, if you miss prayer for a day, like you're in trouble. Like so make sure you keep that streak alive. So when I was thinking about prayer, I thought I would start at the beginning of my own formation. As a good Lutheran boy, in keeping with Luther's insistence on praying every day, my first prayers were said around the dinner table and at bedtime. At mealtimes, our family drew from a mid-1700s Moravian table prayer. I don't think they knew it was a 1700s Moravian table prayer, but that's what we said. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. This is the prayer that our family said 
at every meal. And then at bedtime, it was another prayer, also from the early 1700s. It was a great time for writing prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. But of course we didn't pray those lyrics because somewhere between the early 1700s and today, people realized that reminding children they might die in their sleep is not a good idea. And so people revised the lyrics. And so I think we said, um, guard and keep me through the night and wake me with the morning light. A much more appropriate prayer for children to pray rather than if I die. Like when I go, how did any child ever go to sleep praying that prayer? I don't understand that. Wow. And then at the end of that prayer, uh, there was some freestyling where my little six-year-old self had a chance to pray for my family and for my extended family and for whoever else seemed to need God's help that day. So when we read this passage from Second Chronicles, there's this line, the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said, I have heard your prayer. And as a child, it was assumed that this was the same thing that was happening to me, that God was hearing me. I don't really remember anything other than that. Like, if I was saying these things, I believe that it was for a reason, that God heard the words that I was saying. And I think it's pretty likely, with absolutely no empirical evidence to back up this claim, that a child who is taught to pray is less likely to encounter certain barriers to praying in adulthood. I think if you learn to assume from a young age that God is hearing you when you pray, it's easier to pray when you get older. We do this in all kinds of areas of life. Most often, children learn to swim, right? People learn to swim when they're children. People learn to read, generally speaking, when they're children, if that opportunity is available. People learn to ride, ride a bike when they're children. And there's even a saying that says, it's like riding a bike, which is to say that even if you were to not ride a bike for 10, 20 years, because you learned it when you were young, you can just hop back on the bike and start riding again. It's like riding a bike. Or maybe it's like learning to say your bedtime prayers as a kid. Even if you go 10 or 20 years without it, you can kind of just hop right back on and keep going. There's this great line in Deuteronomy 4, 7, where Moses asks this rhetorical question, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? There's this assumption they had their whole life was built around this understanding that God listened to them, God is near them. And that's an incredible way to live. Growing up knowing that God is near us can be a huge blessing. And so with all of the kids in our church community, I thought this was as good of an opportunity as ever to remind parents to take note of this. Pray however you will. You can use Moravian table prayers if you want, or you can use spontaneous words. But the idea of creating an atmosphere in your home and in your family where we talk to God and we learn that God is listening to us might not be a bad idea. Because we want everyone in our community to grow up with the understanding that God is near us and that he listens. I saw this great uh, image, this photograph this week, and then I read the backstory of it. So here's the photo. Um, this guy's name is Tokushoryu, and he won a sumo wrestling tournament in Tokyo. But he went into the tournament as the lowest ranked competitor in the entire tournament the lowest ranked competitor, and he ends up winning. And so as soon as it ends, he bursts into tears, and he's like crying. And it's this awesome picture of this mountain of a man bursting into tears. And they interviewed him after the match, after he had won. And they basically said, like, wow, like, that's quite a burst of emotion. Like, like, how are you feeling? And this is what he said. Deep down, I'm feeling like 
is it okay for me to win the championship? Like he went in as this lower rank thing. He's like, I have no right to be a winner. I have no right to, to be the champion here. Some of us struggle to believe that God would even want to hear our prayers. Like, is it okay for, for me to actually just like talk to God? Is, am I allowed to do that? Some of us struggle thinking that our prayers don't even matter. Like, what does it matter if I do this? I'm like the lowest ranked competitor, but even the lowest ranked among us are invited to draw near. I was thinking about this conversation I had with a friend of mine. He told me this incredible story, and I won't go into it all because it's, it's very lengthy, but the short version of it is that his dad had a traumatic event and actually passed away, uh, like he was clinically dead for a short period of time. And then he revived, and he ended up kind of coming back to full health, but he was changed after that. And my friend was telling me that one of the things that completely and totally changed in his life was the way that he prayed. And he said before that, he would either not have prayed at all, like around the dinner table or wherever as a family, or it would have been like some kind of a formal or structured prayer. But he said from that moment on, every time he prayed, he'd be, he would refer to God as daddy. And he would pray in this like intimate, compassionate way. He would just be like talking to him as if God was like sitting there at the table. And this intimate, this close encounter that he had in this near-death experience, it changed the way that he prayed. And it was like, this is, a, and my friend was saying, like, it's a reminder to me that that's what prayer is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be like, my father just wants me to talk to him. So we have to keep that in mind. And something, I think, profound happens whenever we turn to God in prayer. With the first word of even the simplest, most informal prayer, like as soon as we say God or Jesus, Father, whatever it is that we say to begin our prayer, as soon as we say that word, we've accepted, at least in some part, our rightful place as God's children that we have as much right as anyone to win the championship. Now, my next lesson in prayer came in high school when an especially cute girl invited me out to her Pentecostal youth group. It was an interesting experience on a number of different levels. I mean, the music, I'd never seen something like this. I didn't, I'd never really seen a bunch of young people care about church before. That was new to me. But one of the experiences that was different was uh, the way that they prayed. And so at the end of this youth group, much like happens in our own youth group here, they got into smaller groups and they kind of talked about whatever and then they prayed together. And so there was me and a couple of other guys who didn't go to church at all and we're in this circle and they're like, okay, now we're all going to pray. And we're like, what is going on? Why did we come here? Um, but one of the things that I remember was is that this one girl sitting around the table, around in the circle, we were in this church basement, and, and she started praying for her apple orchards, her family's apple orchards, and she's praying that the apple blossoms, you know, wouldn't be destroyed. And I remember us sitting here, sitting there, the three of us were looking at each other, we're clearly not praying, and we're just like, what is she doing? She's praying about apple blossoms? Now, now, having friends who this is very central to their lives, I understand just how significant and desperate that prayer was. But at the time, I was like, who prays for apple blossoms? Who does this? And so the first shock to me was my surroundings. How is it possible that we are just talking to God here in a church basement with a bunch of young people? That's not what prayer looked like in my mind's eye up to that point. And again, from our reading, now my eyes, this is God speaking, now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place, the temple. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. I mean, this made sense to me, and I think this makes sense to a lot of people. Like, if God's going to hear you pray, it should be in a place like this. I mean, this is a place of prayer, come on, right? Um, but a church basement, but a bunch of young people, like, really, is God listening there? You know, for a long stretch in the biblical story, the temple was the central place of prayer. That's where people came to connect with God. 
Now, the second shock in that church basement experience was that just anyone can pray for just anything. Again, probably most of the praying that I had heard outside of the dinner table or the bedside would have been a pastor standing up front at a church service. And so here, the fact that anyone can pray, and you can actually pray about anything that's going on in your life, that was shocking for me. But there's some other less helpful things that we might have learned about prayer along our journeys. Man approached God one day. He says, God, can I ask you a question? And God says, sure, fire away. He says, what are, what are a million years like to you? And God responded, a million years are like a second. And the man says, then what is, what is a million dollars like to you? And God responds, well, a million dollars is like a penny. And the man pauses for a second. He says, God, could you give me a penny? God says, sure, just a second. All right, just had to make its way to the back. Somewhere along the line, most of us pick up the idea that there's a way for our prayers to get us what we want out of life. That if we can say the right thing, that we'll get what we want or need. So again, from 2 Chronicles 7. Now this is a verse that if you've been around church at all, you, this will be familiar to you. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will hear their land. Now, first of all, there's some real value packed into that little verse there. The value of humility, having a posture of humility, of seeking God through prayer, of turning away from sin. I mean, there's a lot of value in there. But in my earlier church experience, I can remember the if-then of this passage being taught and modeled. The idea that if something wasn't happening, then there must have been a reason for that. So if we want this result, then we've got to do this thing. So let's have a special kind of gathering, a special meeting, or, or change our lives. Let's do something so that we can get this other thing to happen. And then there was another if-then that kind of coupled with that one, and it was a little more subtle. If you're not seeing results, then you're doing something wrong. And this is part of this transactional kind of understanding of prayer, that if we do one thing, God will do another thing. If we say the right thing, then God will do what we want. Now, on our more honest days, we might admit to approaching prayer like this, transactional. Contemporary Norwegian writer Karl Uwe Knausgaard writes, he asked the question, and he asked this from the vantage point of someone who is agnostic, if not atheist. What is the modern view of prayer? So an outsider's view, what do I see around me? Well, there's only one kind of prayer for modern people, and that is an expression of desire. You don't pray unless there is something you want. Now, I will not ask for a show of hands, but I would invite you to take a moment and ask yourself, how often do your prayers involve anything other than asking God to do something for you, to make your life or the life of someone you care about better? Is that what prayer is to you? Because I think somewhere along the line, most of us pick up the idea that prayer is asking. Now, there are two main problems with this. The first is that we can get lazy. Uh, on the other side of her Grammy win, I decided to download um, Billie Eilish's album and was listening to uh, this song in which she's kind of talking about God and the devil and heaven and hell. And she has this, this line from God's vantage point, 
poisoning themselves now, begging for our help. Wow. And I was like, that is pretty impressive from an 18-year-old. That people are messing up the world and then asking God to fix it. Messing up their lives and then asking God to fix it. Not willing to lift a finger. Somehow our praying can end up being divorced from the rest of our lives. Pray for health with your exam, yes, but don't forget to study. Pray for your health, yes, but don't forget to exercise and eat a balanced diet. Pray for a better job, yes, but don't forget to hand out resumes. And while you're at it, don't forget to be a good employee at your current job while praying for a new one. And we could add all kinds of things to a list like this. The way we pray for our relationships, our finances, bad habits, future plans, our security, wisdom. The list goes on and on. Are we willing to be actively involved in doing our part in the thing that we're asking God to help us with? And so, from a contemporary artist to very early Christian writers, there's a, a line in the sayings of the Desert Fathers who were these Christian writers in the early centuries following Jesus' life and death. They ask, what is pure prayer? Prayer which is brief in words, but abundant in actions. For if your actions do not exceed your petitions, then your prayers are mere words, and the seed of the hands is not in them. It's a beautiful analogy. This idea of like praying without acting is like a farmer walking through his field, scattering seed, only there's no seed. He's just, going, he's just walking around the field like this. Like that's what, that's what prayer is like if you're not willing to, to be a part of the solution yourself. It's good ancient wisdom. A few centuries later, a very famous prayer, and you'll recognize, I'm sure, the lyrics of it, the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. It's a request, yes, Lord, make me, do something. Make me an instrument of your peace, but it's a participation in what we're asking God to do. Lord, help me be the kind of person who sows love where I find hatred. That's the kind of prayer we should be chasing after. Now, the second problem with thinking of prayer of asking, if the first one is that we can get lazy, the second one is that we neglect the relationship. Because at the horror of a healthy life of faith... At the center of it all is a relationship with God who created us to love and to be loved. And we have to remember when it comes to prayer that God is our Father in heaven, not our skip the dishes driver. Like it's okay to have interactions with some people in our lives where it's just transactional. I give you something, you do something for me. That's fine, but not with God. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not about, okay, I'm giving you this something, now you give me something back. That's not what it is, God is our Father. And that's what we need to remember. Carlo Corretto writes that prayer is meaningful because in your presence, another is present. Another mouth corresponds to your mouth, another ear to your ear. Speaking metaphorically, of course, but speaking truthfully, that there is a, a person, a divine person we are communicating with. This is not someone just to do our bidding. And so this kind of, I think, acknowledgement over the years led me to my third formational lesson in prayer, the first one being that we're all invited to draw near. That's the first thing I learned about prayer. The second thing that I learned was that prayer can happen anywhere at any time. But the third thing is that prayer is about more than asking. 
And so at some point, I think in my late high school years, I learned this, anacronym, this acronym for praying called ACTS. And again, if you've, if you've been around church, you'll be familiar with this, and this will be an introduction for a number of you. And the idea was that could we come up with a simple way to remember how we ought to pray, all right? So the, the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. The A stands for adoration, and I'm going to give an example from the Psalms. And let me just say, next week, we're going to talk about different postures and practices of prayer. Um, but let me just say that if you're like, I don't even know how to pray, just open the Psalms, absolutely any chapter, there's 150 of them, it doesn't matter, and you'll learn to pray. There's no better place for us to go to learn to pray than the Psalms. So I want to give just the example of in these four different kind of steps in prayer through this little acronym, uh, examples from the Psalms. So the first is adoration, that when we begin our praying, we begin by adoring God for who he is. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. So the first thing that we do when we come to God in prayer is we acknowledge that we are actually talking to the creator of all things. The second is confession. When we communicate, we should acknowledge who we are. If we're going to acknowledge who God is, we should take time to acknowledge who we are. Psalm 32, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So confession being part of this prayer. The T is thanksgiving. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. So we remember in our praying what God has already done. We give thanks for the things that he has done in our lives up until this point. And it's only after we've done all of this that we should get to that final place of supplication. I mean, whatever. They needed a word that started with us. Asking. But acta wasn't quite the same, you know. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. And so just an example of, of the way that we might be able to get to a place of asking that's a little more appropriate than just starting with, God, I need you to do this. God, please do this. If that's the way our prayers start, this kind of model gives us an example that there's another way to approach. And, and what it does is it takes us out of the center of things and acknowledges God as the actual center. It gets us back to the heart of what prayer ought to be. God, you're so good. God, I'm like messing up here. Thank you for all the goodness that you've done in my life already. And now I want to ask, in keeping with who you are and who I am and all that you've already done for this thing. But knowing what our praying ought to be doesn't necessarily make it an easy task. I want to read an entry from Henry Nouwen's journal uh, as recorded in The Road to Daybreak. He titles this entry, Useless Prayer. Why should I spend an hour in prayer when I do nothing during that time but think about people I'm angry with, people who are angry with me, books I should read, books I should write, and thousands of other silly things that happen to grab my mind for a moment? The answer? Because God is greater than my mind and my heart. And what is really happening in the house of prayer is not measurable in terms of human success and failure. What I must do first of all is be faithful. If I believe that the first commandment is to love God with my whole heart, mind, and soul, then I should at least be able to spend an hour a day with nobody else but God. 
The question as to whether it is helpful, useful, practical, or fruitful is completely irrelevant, since the only reason to love is love itself. Everything else is secondary. The remarkable thing, however, is that sitting in the presence of God for one hour each morning, and listen, before I continue, don't let that scare you away. If you're like, if that's the starting point, forget this whole business. Whatever. If, if sitting in the presence of God for 10 minutes each morning, day after day, week after week, month after month, in total confusion and with myriad distractions radically changes my life. God, who loves me so much that he sent his only son, not to condemn me, but to save me, does not leave me waiting in the dark too long. I might think that each hour is useless, but after 30 or 60 or 90 such useless hours, I gradually realize that I was not as alone as I thought. A very small, gentle voice has been speaking to me far beyond my noisy place. So, be confident and trust in the Lord. Our growth in prayer most likely won't seem like growth at all until one day it does. But it's actually this last piece that I'd like to touch on before wrapping up. Nowen's encouragement to be confident. Sometimes it's not a lack of focus that makes our prayers seem useless, but a lingering inability to believe that they will do us any good. A lack of confidence. I was thinking about how when I'm in a bad place, when my circumstances are getting the best of me, when I'm really, truly tired, I often make the mistake, unconsciously, I don't think about it, but I make the mistake of pulling away from my wife. Now, anyone who's in a relationship will understand this, maybe. So the idea, as I was thinking about it, I was like, why do I do that? I think the idea is that I have this narrative running through my head that no one can really help me in this, that I have to figure this one out on my own. But of course, that's not true at all. The truth is that I should actually draw closer to the person who's closest to me. I should open up to the person who's closest to me. But we have this idea that we should distance ourselves. And I think that sometimes we do the same thing in the life of faith. When things are going particularly bad for us, we draw actually away from God. We turn and we say, well, this is just something I've got to do on my own. And all the way God, like a loving partner, is sitting there saying, like, I'm waiting here for you. I, can't, I may not be able to fix this problem, but I certainly can be with you in the midst of it. So while the feeling is real, that you're on your own, the conclusion is actually false, because you're not on your own. I had an opportunity to sit down with a spiritual mentor of mine a few years ago, and he was telling me a story, and this is someone who, who has so much good to say about prayer. Someone who has actually taught me a lot about what prayer is and is not. And he told me this story of how when his daughter was a teenager, she was wild, like off the rails wild. And he said to me, of all the things that I remember from that conversation, this, this stands out among the top. He said, she taught us how to pray. And I was like, it's so interesting. Like this person who has so much wisdom to share about how we ought to pray. Do this, don't do this. This is what prayer is all about. Digging into the Bible, understand prayer. Where did he learn to pray? From the messed up life going on around him. From a broken heart. From the circumstances just crumbling. From his dreams and hopes for someone he loved more than anyone just falling apart. That's actually where he learned to pray. Which reminded me of a line from Thomas Merton who said that prayer and love are really learned 
in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and your heart turns to stone. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if that's where you find yourself, that this is just impossible, that you might actually be learning something significant about how to pray. So when I was a child, I learned to swim, I learned to read, and I learned to ride a bike, and I'm grateful for all of those things. I'm grateful for those foundations, but my learning is far from over. If those were the only things that I learned in life, I'd be a pretty sorry individual. And I wanted to start off our series this way in order to acknowledge, first of all, the valuable elements of our formations in prayer, those early things that we learned, that, that they can actually be really good in setting us up for the future, while also hoping to inspire a desire in us to keep on growing. Riding the bike shouldn't be the last thing we learn to do in life. And those early lessons we learned in prayer shouldn't be the end of our growing. As good, now is as good a time as ever to remind you that at the end of every service, we have members of our pastoral care team. And they gather up here in this front corner, and they invite you to come and just sit and pray with them. And so this morning, regardless of how you're responding, or which element of what I've said you might be responding to, I'd invite you to join and just pray. And realize that every week, this is a space that we have. It's not a space that is more sacred than others. It's not a space that is more magical than others, but it's a space where people are ready and waiting to pray with you. And so I'd invite you to join them this morning. And I'll close with a thought. It's from an Orthodox priest named Father Maximos. He writes, the prayer is like a harbor that is always nearby. And so the thing as we go through this series, I know that there can be a lot of maybe guilt around prayer because most of us are not where we would like to be in this area of our lives. And I would just remind you, prayer is like a harbor that's always nearby. You can always pull in. God is always ready and waiting. Please stand. Lord, I give thanks for the past. I give thanks for my early formational experiences with prayer. And in some kind of weird way, I also give thanks for the things that maybe I was taught that were a little off. Maybe the things I picked up along the way that distracted me because all of it works together to teach me how to commune with you more faithfully and more, more truly and honestly. And so, God, I pray that as we begin this series and throughout this month that you would call each of us to draw close to you wherever it is, whatever it is that we want, that we would learn a little bit more about what it means to address you as Father and to draw near to you as your children. Be with us as we gather around tables this morning. Inspire our conversation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.